Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins fans, and welcome into the Tuesday, July the 16th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, I unload the notebook from a rewatch of the AFC Championship game and some logical applications for the revamped Dolphins defense. And staying on the topic of revamped Dolphins positions, we dive into the offensive line from the impressive coaching staff to the new prototype at the position with the training camp preview rolling on. Plus, we'll discuss some of the new Madden ratings for Madden 2020 that dropped on Monday and preview another opponent, the Los Angeles Chargers. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL. The show is at LockedOnFins. I am, of course, your Daily Dolphins podcast host, your column writer on LockedOnDolphins.com, where you can find all of our written content. I also write Pac-12 football for fansided.com, and I should be having some more podcast news and more national NFL coverage on the podcast coming here soon as well, so keep an eye out for that. And last but not least, the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts, like the Lockdown Heat podcast and Lockdown NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. I've got a very, very busy show for you guys today. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins Over the weekend, the NFL Network re-aired the entirety of the NFL playoffs from 2018, or I guess the 2019 playoffs, and I added the AFC Championship game to my DVR and finally got around to watching it last night, and I came away with some notes. And real quick, before we get into that, as I continue making my way through the Warren Sharp Season Preview Magazine out now, one piece of data continues to show up, and it's Warren's love for first down passes to running backs. So I got curious and looked at Kenyon Drake's effectiveness as a first down pass receiver because I assumed it was very, very good in a league where passing to the back on first down has great results. And it was very good until Brock Osweiler got onto the field. I remember Adam Gaze using Drake on some drive starters and getting things going. And Sharp's argument is that the first play of drives really sets the tone and has a high correlation rate to drive success rate. So I tallied each of Drake's first down pass targets and it was a little bit underwhelming. The Dolphins completed 19 of those 24 passes for 121 yards, a touchdown, and an average of 5.04 yards per attempt. Success rate, the Dolphins were 11 for 24, a 45.8% success rate, and success rate is measured by gaining 40% of the yardage to gain on first down. So first and 10, you need four yards to have a successful play. But think about that for a second. We're considering 5.04 yards per attempt a failure. I mean, I'll take second and five any day of the week. And I mean, we're talking about a successful play being four yards and we're averaging 5.04 yards per play, eclipsing that mark by a full yard. So I wanted to dig in a little more and I noticed this. You remove the five games that Brock Osweiler played and he struggled to get those passes out. It wasn't natural for him. It's not necessarily natural for Tannehill, but he is better than Brock Osweiler at it. But then all of a sudden, Drake's first down passing target numbers turns to this. 
13 for 15, a higher completion percentage, 94 yards and a touchdown, 6.27 yards per attempt, a full yard and a quarter better. Although the success rate barely jumps up, it goes from 11 to 24 to 7 of 15, a jump to 46.7%, barely even 1% improvement. Now compare that to James White, for instance, in New England, he was 26 of 45 during the season, a success rate of 57.8% on first down passes. I think that's what you can expect from Kenyon Drake this year as a pass receiver. But let's get back on the topic here of the Patriots-Dolphins comparisons and go back to the defensive side of the ball. You go back and watch the AFC Championship game at least through the first half of the game for effectiveness, but not just the end result. The way the Patriots defended Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, it was so impressive until very late in that game, of course, and I jotted down some notes during the game that I think are interesting. First, J.C. Jackson was on Travis Kelsey for a lot of this game, man up. Minka Fitzpatrick, I think that's the applicable comparison there to cover big tight ends in man coverage. It's more about matchups rather than putting them in positions that are basically adhering to defensive structures and defending whoever comes to their area. It's more about getting the guy on the other guy you want to see that gives you the favorable matchup. So it's more about matchups than having a guy defend a certain portion of the field, for instance. Then there's the way they find pressures on the quarterback. And despite the lack of a household name at edge rusher, unless you want to call Trey Flowers a household name out there, it is so fun to watch. It's all about gap integrity and teamwork. And I'm going to say it on the Dolphins podcast here, the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. I'm going to say it. It's about doing your job. And if Coach Flores can drill that into the guys we have here, we can take massive steps forward in the first year under Flores. One of the ways they create pressure is by using dual four-eye techs and six techs, and the four-eye techniques are on the inside shoulder of either offensive tackle, and the six techniques out over the tackle's outside shoulder on the play. The four techs will slant in across the face of the tackle, and the six tech stands up and takes a delayed step outward, and the only response the Chiefs line can use is to shuffle backwards and reset the point of attack, and by the time the Patriots' delayed rush gets home, They've clogged every lane, every escape alley for Patrick Mahomes. So if you can hold up in coverage for two seconds, two and a half seconds, you can pretty much mitigate every single possible escape route that Mahomes or whoever the quarterback might be has to their advantage. It's smart, disciplined football, and it relies on teamwork, something we've discussed on this podcast time and time again. And then there was another play in the second half that I was so impressed by. They motioned from the boundary, the Chiefs did, over to the field side of the formation with Tyreek Hill. The cornerback follows, but he backs off and gives a cushion while the linebacker, the outside linebacker, takes the flat for the potential quick swing route to that motion man. And then once he passes him off, the linebacker jumps right back into the hook zone to cut off the angle from the back on the arrow route back over the middle of the field. The cornerback picks up the motion man on the potential wheel. It's all about communication and having multiple guys on the same page, something we have not had in Miami under Matt Burke or even Vance Joseph or even going back before that. And then lastly here, real quick, there was a cover zero play where you have no safeties over the top. It's all about pressure and pressing man coverage on the outside. Cover zero on third and eight. I absolutely loved what they did. They sent everybody and used the three corners in coverage to man up and use the safeties on the blitz. The way they did it was using Patrick Chung and Devin McCourty off the same edge 
Chung comes in and headhunts the back to clear him out of the protection. And then Devin McCourty gets a free run at the quarterback. I can see this exact same blitz being used with Rashad Jones taking the Patrick Chung role. Of course, if he can refrain from freelancing and Minka Fitzpatrick playing the part of Devin McCourty. Yeah, it makes you vulnerable deep down the field, but it's awfully tough to beat when you know the offense is passing the ball on a third and long look. I think you'll see plenty of that this year for the Dolphins defense. My notes on the offense were not as in-depth, but I did notice the frequency with which they motion the running back out of the backfield and leave just the fullback there. And let me tell you, if Chandler Cox can block at all as the lead, this team is going to have tons of opportunities to get him the ball as a receiving back out of the backfield. More on that later down the road. This creates some mismatches on the defense out wide and in the backfield. And I believe Chad O'Shea will bring that to Miami as well. All right, we're going to come back on the other side of the podcast here and preview the offensive line for 2019 training camp. But first, I want to ask you if your performance in the bedroom is offensive. If it is, listen up. You can get back to your prime playing days with BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and you don't have to hide taking them the way Chris Forrester, former Dolphins offensive line coach, used to do. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. If you could benefit from extra function and more confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E. Chew.com, promo code LOCKEDON to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. hope the Dolphins offensive line this year and going forward can stand their ground because it's been an abysmal unit for the most part going back for an entire decade plus and the biggest change this year in my opinion comes one from the coaching staff but two from the prototypes this Dolphins offensive line wants to have on the unit in the meeting room on the field itself and you guys can find the training camp guide up on LockedOnDolphins.com we stopped today on the offensive line. This concludes the offensive portion of the training camp guide. We have quarterbacks, running backs, tight ends, wide receivers, and offensive line all up and published today. We're going to have the defensive interior line tomorrow, defensive edge on Thursday, and then we'll have either linebackers or specialists on Friday. I haven't quite decided what will make the most sense as far as my time and the work I put into these because there is tons and tons of work and research that goes into these. And the first part that I did was broke down the coaching staff different because you go back a couple of years and the Dolphins really didn't have a lot of variety in their run game in terms of the calls they use. And a lot of that was because, well, their offensive line coach and running game coordinator was doing blow in his office. And that's obviously going to be something that keeps him from getting the job done. So now 
With Eric Studsville coordinating the running game, they wanted to bring in some teachers that could teach technique and get guys that have the temperament to blow people off the football. And that's the big shift in the prototype. This Dolphins offensive line now has tons of guys that are huge with massive wingspans and play with power. And that's the kind of football that Pat Flaherty, the offensive line coach, and Dave DeGugliamo, Googe, I think is how you say his nickname. It's kind of teetering there on inappropriate. But those two guys together have very decorated resumes in the National Football League. And when Googe came in here to replace Chris Furster back in 2017, Miami goes from the 21st ranked pass blocking efficiency line in the National Football League in weeks one through six. After that, when DeGuliamo comes in, they go to second in the National Football League the rest of the way. He then goes to Indianapolis last season. Not sure why he left, but he did. And Indianapolis goes from 29th ranked in pass blocking efficiency from Pro Football Focus, by the way, which if you don't have a Pro Football Focus account, get one. They go from 29th to 10th in 2018. Marked improvements across the board there for the Colts under DeGuglielmo. But the room still belongs to Pat Flaherty, and he kind of learned his way and cut his teeth under Tom Coughlin with the Giants back in 2004. And wouldn't you know it, who else was there? Dave DeGuglielmo. So these guys have a history together. They have a relationship. Pat Flaherty turned a bad Jaguars offensive line into a damn good one in 2017. One that led the National Football League in rushing yards that year with Leonard Fournette. And they had similar builds to the Dolphins offensive line this year in terms of the investments in those players on the offensive line. If we assume that the Dolphins starting line goes Tunzel, Dieter, Kilgore, Reed, and Davis, the Jaguars had a second round pick, two third round picks, and a pair of undrafted free agents with the Dolphins. They've got the first round pick, a third round pick, a fifth rounder, and two UDFA. So low investment, hoping for big return. And that process or that theory is permeated on the depth of the roster as well because the Dolphins offensive line depth has been completely turned over with new players and new prototypes with low risk potentially high reward players now on the roster and we start with the starting line left tackle Laramie Tunzel I really don't have to tell you guys a lot about him he blanked Khalil Mack in week six last year. He blanks Jadavian Clowney in week eight last year. He's technically sound, has the best feet at the position for my money, a strong initial stab, understands leverage, a great anchor, a fantastic kick slide. He can get out in space and win in the running game and dictate the direction of the rep. He's adept at combination blocks. He's more than adequate at getting out in space. The one area he could stand to improve, he has 21 fouls over the last two seasons. So Laramie Tunzel could get better in that regard, but he's only going to be 25 years old on opening day and the Dolphins have him under club control for two more years at $12.5 million total but he's going to get a new contract very very soon that brings us inside to left guard Michael Dieter he's 23 years old on opening day a four-year contract that pays him right around four million bucks in total but the 53 game collegiate starting streak that spanned three positions he has the durability the toughness and the competitiveness that Miami wanted to get on the offensive line this year he was a hockey player in college and he has the feet and athleticism to show that. He's also adept at executing combination blocks and recognizing games, the stunts, the twists, the slants from the defensive line. I think he has a chance to work at left guard, but also at center if Daniel Kilgore goes down. But Michael Dieter should start opening day for the Dolphins this year at left guard. Daniel Kilgore comes back to play center. Look, he's here for two more years at 6.1 million bucks. Kind of expensive. He's 31.7 years old opening day. But he played four games last year. It wasn't very good. He's going to have to do a lot better with his strength at the point of attack to sustain his position as the Dolphins' offensive line 
anchor in the middle at center. He has some competition behind him looking to take that job from him as well. He's just got to get better, but for now, he's the starting center on this football team. At right guard, I'm going Chris Reed. He has three years of service. He came from Minnesota State in college. He's 27.1 years old, got a two-year contract for three million bucks, cheap as all get out. He was the unheralded signing of the offseason for me, and he has a chance to buck this label as a career backup, and I think he will do it coming over from the Jaguars where Coach Flaherty came from. He has this knack for cohesive pass protection and the occasional push in the ground game. I think he plays either guard spot well, but serves best as the Dolphins' right right guard, rather. and I think based upon his work on tape, he might be the second best player on this Dolphins' offensive line. And then right tackle, I'm going back to Jesse Davis from Idaho, 28 years old on opening day. He has one year left, and then he's a restricted free agent after the season. Just $645,000 owed to Jesse Davis this year. He's the only Dolphins lineman that played 16 games in 2018. He struggled inside with guys like Geno Atkins, for instance. He would overset and couldn't win the initial punch on the pass protection moves. He's much more athletic and good in space than you would assume based upon his body, but he can do some work in the ground game and I think he might be a better option at right tackle than anything Miami has so those are my starters the top guy off the bench is Jordan Mills he got a one-year three million dollar contract he's played over 3,000 snaps the last three years he's still just 28.7 years old but I think that he's best served as a swing tackle a position that is very valuable in today's NFL, especially in Miami, where the tackles last two years have missed a combined 11 games. So his durability, and I think the work in the running game, at least a little bit, attracted Miami to his services. He's a plotter. He's slow. He can get victimized by speed rushers. But when he gets his hands on his guy, the rep is usually over. It's just a battle for him to get to that point. And there's not a ton of pop in the ground game either. The next guy off the bench, the potential swing tackle to compete with Jordan Mills is Zach Stirrup, but I just don't see it. This guy's 27.4 years old on opening day. He's got the same contract as Jesse Davis, $645,000 left. He has been in the game for 58 pass blocking reps last year, 53 reps the year before. He allowed seven pressures on both of those years, so 14 combined, and three of those were sacks. It's just not good. He has some natural talent, some good bend. He has ideal size for the position, which is probably why he's back this year, but he just hasn't put it together yet. And I think time is probably running out on Zach Stirrup, who gets cut in training camp this year as my prediction. That brings us to Tony Adams. He is a big mauling type at guard. He's only 20.7 years old on opening day, has two years left on that contract with 1.1 million owed to him. And he has those required traits sought after by the Dolphins coaching staff. He has the durability, which is a product of toughness. He has the size and the road grading style. The initial punch is devastating when he hits it. When he's properly aligned in his technique, he puts together absolute teaching tape. The issue is the consistency in that technique and the slow feet. He's a people mover, not somebody who's going to impress in his movement and change of direction skills. I think this guy has a great shot to make the football team. To me, he does make the team and serves as the swing interior offensive lineman. He was with the Jaguars initially with Pat Flaherty and then signed with the Patriots practice squad last season. So the connections are all over the place. I think he makes this roster on opening day. 
And that leaves us with one more position to fill on the Dolphins' offensive line, assuming they keep eight. They could keep nine, and this guy would need nine to make the roster, in my opinion. The sixth-round draft pick from Ohio State. He's 22.1 years old, opening day. Isaiah Prince, he's a project player. He has the physical traits the Dolphins love, like they keep talking about. His college career was all peaks and valleys. One series, he'd look undraftable. The next series, he would come back and spring the key block that made the big play for the Buckeyes' ground game. He has the size and wingspan and strength to move guys off the ball, but he's slow-footed. His ability to change direction and reset his anchor is difficult for him. He can get beat inside and on the speed rush. I think he gets in the practice squad, and hopefully Miami can groom him before somebody takes him off the practice squad. Let's go a little bit faster here. Michael Dunn, the guy from the AAF, he had some impressive college pressure numbers at Maryland. Only 43 pressures on 1,151 blocking reps. Pass blocking reps, that's a 3.7% pressure allowed rate. He's 6'5", 320, but I do think he gets cut because of numbers game, and he can't get past the tackles ahead of him on the roster. The same story is true for Jared Jones-Smith. This guy won the Pterodactyl Award, which gives the longest wingspan an award at the 2018 NFL Combine. His wingspan is 88 and a half inches that matches Dwight Howard of the NBA. He's 24 years old from Pittsburgh, but I think he gets caught in the numbers game as well and gets cut. Same is true of Kyle Fuller. This is his second year in the NFL, a seventh round draft pick in 2017. He played nine nine games with the Texans, but didn't make the team in 2018. He has 26 clean snaps in pass protection, but again, just too many guys ahead of him. He could be an option for the practice squad. And then we get into the undrafted free agents. A lot of people think that Shaq Calhoun makes the roster, the UDFA from Mississippi State. He has that same physical bruising style, but he's a little bit stiff. He's very upright and lacks some instinctual awareness. I think that he has a chance to make the team, but eventually winds up on the practice squad. And the UDFA that I have making the roster is from Wake Forest, the center, Ryan Anderson. He has 42 consecutive career starts to close his college career. He played 16 of those games at tackle, 25 at center, and one at guard. He is lauded by the Draft Network dudes for his length and technique. Two things I think that will go a long way, along with versatility and durability, and he gets himself on the opening day roster. And then Aaron Montiero, the rookie from Boston College, he has a shot as well, but I think that he gets cut at camp and becomes a practice squad candidate for the Miami Dolphins. So this offensive line, it's going to be a work in progress. It's not going to be great this year, but if they can uncover one, maybe two hidden gems, that would be an absolute lottery, a home run. But I do have faith in this coaching staff to finally get this team playing with the right technique and the right process to get a cohesive, solid five-man roster on the offensive line in the season. We'll see if they can do it this year or if it takes two years. But next on the podcast, we're going to come back and discuss the Los Angeles Chargers, preview the Dolphins' week four opponent, and talk about some Madden rankings. All of that next on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, at Wingfield NFL on Twitter, and the show at Lockdown Fins. So Madden 2020 rankings or Madden 2020, whatever we call it, are out and people are mad about it and probably rightfully so as far as Dolphins fans go. And you can find the rankings up on our article on LockedOnDolphins.com from Oliver Candido, our staff writer. And I guess it's not a big deal to me because I just don't play Madden anymore. I basically stopped playing video games when the PlayStation 2 stopped making games because... 
that was a fantastic system. I know graphics are better now, but I always felt like gameplay was better on the older systems than it is on the new systems where guys tend to move a little bit grainier, like they're in quicksand or something. So that's my rant on video games for the day. But the rankings on Madden, the top five on the Dolphins team, Kenny Stills is an 84. That sounds okay to me. Larry Tunzel is 83. What? He's like the best left tackle in the National Football League. Xavier Howard, 83? What? He's like a the top three cornerback, if not the best cornerback in the National Football League. Rashad Jones, 83. That makes sense. Minka Fitzpatrick, number 80, or I guess an 80 rating. I think that he will improve upon that pretty quickly. They had something like 25 cornerbacks higher than Xavier Howard. I mean, who is doing this? If you guys haven't seen the Keenan Allen video posted by the Chargers official Twitter account, you should check that out. He's pretty hilarious, and he agrees that these rankings are completely whack. And hey, while we're on the topic of the Los Angeles Chargers, let's go ahead and get to our Week 4 opponent breakdown of those LA Chargers. And they come to town, to Miami, on September 29th, another 1 o'clock Eastern kickoff time. And though the Chargers have struggled in Miami in the past and on the East Coast in that early window in general... I'm just not sure if it's going to matter in this game. This is perhaps the most loaded roster, the most loaded team in the National Football League. They added to their already loaded group in the draft and free agency. They bring over Thomas Davis, a stud of a linebacker, to help solidify that group. Jerry Tillery, their first-round pick, can absolutely wreck shop when he's hot on the inside. Nasir Adderley is a perfect complement to Derwin James on that back end of that defense. And Derwin James was an all-pro as a rookie, by the way. They have a deadly 11 personnel package with Keenan Allen, who is the cleanest slot release guy in the game. He wins time and time again. Now that Doug Baldwin is retired, I think he has that crown. Travis Benjamin and Mike Williams on the outside. Melvin Gordon, assuming he returns from the holdout he's going on right now. And then there's the tight end, Hunter Henry. And check out this stat from Sharp Football. Henry ranked second among all skill players in 2017 because he missed last year with an injury in success rate. He also ranked as the NFL's best player in missed yards per attempt, a metric that measures efficiency on plays graded as unsuccessful. So he was there and available, the quarterback or the pass protection or something just didn't add up to get him the football. And Miami just doesn't have the pieces yet anyway to match up with a team like this. And they also are not equipped to deal with the Chargers' many pass rushers they can throw at you. Tunzel can take out Melvin Ingram off the weak side, but the Joey Bosa on Jesse Davis or Jordan Mills matchup, whoever it's going to be, is not going to be as good as it was with Jawan James. We probably don't have an answer for Jerry Tillery as a nickel interior rusher, and Thomas Davis joins a healthy Denzel Perriman on the inside for off-ball linebackers on top of potentially the best cornerback trio in the National Football League with Casey Hayward, Desmond King, and Trevor Williams, plus those two safeties we mentioned. Gus Bradley is the wizard behind it all. He was exceptional in year one calling that defense. Despite his Jaguar stint, this guy can flat out coach defense as evident by his exemplary dime defensive package that stifled Lamar Jackson, maybe a blueprint for Miami in week one back in the postseason from Sharp. Bradley brought Seattle from the 29th ranked efficiency defense to 10th and then 2nd and then 1st upon his arrival in Seattle. He brought the Chargers from 12th to 8th last year, despite having the 5th most injured defense by his own 
injury measurement metrics that he uses. If there's a spot where Miami can get the Chargers, it's on that offensive line. Sam Tevy, Michael Schofield, and Dan Feeney are all projected starters. So is Mike Pouncey, by the way. And each of those guys have taken their lumps. But then you've got Phillip Rivers with that quick release, outstanding processing skill, and a high conversion rate on third downs. I think this game is a laugher, a runaway. The Chargers send all of us packing in blowout fashion, and that will send this podcast packing until tomorrow here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I thank you guys all again for hanging with me the entire offseason. We're almost there. It's almost football season, but for now, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL, the show at Locked On Fins, and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. Each of these training camp guide pieces are up there live right now. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.